0: And we're live. Welcome back, everybody, to a new episode of the Wheelie Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Toll. I'm joined again this week by Electrex publisher, Seth Weintraub. How's it going, Seth? I'm good. And this is a very special episode because it is sponsored by Gates Carbon Drive. And we are also welcoming Jonathan Weinert from Gates onto the show. How's it going, John?
1: Awesome. And in, in, uh, coming in live from Izmir, Turkey, where we just opened up a uh, brand new manufacturing facility to to produce sprockets, bicycle sprockets, actually. Okay,
0: wow. Yeah, I didn't know that you guys were producing out there. I guess uh, that's some news we'll be talking about as well. There's a a lot of Gates news going on. I know this Mm -hmm. week we just covered the um, unveiling of the new Moto X5 system. And uh, we've got a lot to talk about with Gates, but maybe we can start there with the recent news. Can you tell us a little bit about that uh, system and what makes it new and different?
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, we, we've actually been, been working on this project. Um, when I, when I arrived at Gates, um, you know, the initial research and development on this new belt started and, um, yeah, we we're really happy to announce that, that this belt is, you know, finally that, you know, the design of this belt is locked and loaded. And yeah, the, the exciting thing about this belt is like, all Gates carbon drive belts. It's got the carbon drive, it's got the carbon fiber cord, which gives it its, its pr- a premium strength. Um, it's made of a synthetic compound that's slightly different from the um, compounds that you might be used to in our bicycle belts and in the Moto X Nine belt, um, but also super high strength. Never have to lube it. It will never rust. Um, and the the great thing about this compound together with the carbon cord is it actually results in a quieter belt, which as you guys know quite well, uh, noise is, uh, is a big thing for electric scooters and electric motorcycles. Uh, once you take away that noisy engine, yeah, then, then you hear everything else. And so it's, it was really important for us to make the belt as quiet as possible.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I was actually just riding up a uh, first ride on my new Gogoro scooter and I was I was just talking about how uh, it actually has a chain drive. It's not one of the the belt drive options cuz I know Gates works with Gogoro. And man, I can really hear that chain going. So, um can you tell us a, just a little bit quick about why someone would want to go with the Gates drive over chain drive? What's the difference in
1: experience and like, you know, the ownership, the maintenance, that sort of thing? Sure. Yeah, and I think the it comes down to four four reasons clean you'll never have to lube a belt and and you'll never get the the oil you know, flicked on your pant leg or anything as you're riding uh quiet like we just talked about there's there, um, a lot of noise associated with chain clatter as as you may be experiencing um and one reason why gogoro on some of the new models they're they're shifting from chain to belt um, on the flow drive um, specifically, which uh, you guys were so great to cover uh, earlier in the year. I think it was last year. Um, So clean, quiet, smooth. Um, You get a little bit more uh, efficiency and a little bit less vibration when you're using a belt drive versus chain drive. And, um, And you were very accurate to point out in your article, Micah, that um, you're right. Uh, new, new versus new, chain is slightly more efficient than belt, but over the life of the vehicle, especially if you don't maintain it constantly and you're lubing it, you know, every every month, that chain will degrade over time and actually become less efficient than a belt. Um, so, clean, quiet, smooth, and then strong, strong. It uh, in in bike we. In a bicycle construction, we say it lasts about three times the, the uh, mileage or, or time period of chain. Um, and yeah, we don't have exact figures on um, for scooter or motorcycle applications, but typically our users get a lot more lifetime out of the belt versus chain because of those carbon, carbon fiber cords that are so strong.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I I imagine when someone isn't keeping up with their chain maintenance, it, it just makes that, you know, even worse. I know for me, like it's kind of a cobbler's kids go barefoot situation. My chains are just awful. Like I'm so bad about keeping up with oiling and cleaning them. And that's why I love my bikes that have belt drive. You know, I just like don't don't have to worry about it. So for someone that, that doesn't really want to deal with that maintenance so often, I mean, the, the two big upgrades I tell people are, are belt drive and hydraulic brakes if you just don't want to deal with that kind of routine maintenance on an electric bike and on a motorcycle where it's even more important that you're watching that chain. I imagine it makes an even bigger difference.
1: Yes. Yeah, that's exactly right. And yeah, I I recently picked up a Serial One e-bike, which I am loving. And uh, I had to get that one because it actually has two belts on it a one that you can see and then the one that you can't see inside the brosa motor that's right but yeah but i'm I'm loving it as well for that sort of you know set it and forget it aspect of uh yeah it just works are you guys
2: do you guys also make the the belts inside brosa motors or yes wow yes
1: exactly we've been doing that since i think uh doing the brosum motor belts since almost 2011 i believe
2: okay that's that's impressive because uh, you know, one of my favorite things about broso motors is how quiet it is and how smooth they are. And, you know, frankly, sometimes I forget that I have a you know, electric motor under me until I look at the speedometer and, and hey, <laughs> I'm going twenty five miles per hour and barely pedaling. So Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. So that's that's really impressive. Um I just have some questions like uh, you know, I know that belt drive like on the ultra lightweight bikes uh, oftentimes will go advertise a belt drive what kind of weight savings do you guys typically see on a you know let's say like a, a car a carbo bike or a very low weight bike um, how much weight can somebody save by going from a, a chain to a belt
1: hmm I would s- I would say it, it depends on the exact um, Gates components you're mm-hmm. using but it's probably uh, a few hundred grams, okay um, the the belt is of course much lighter, but the sprocket um, can be a little bit heavier um, yeah, but we also offer some some uh, lighter weight sprockets mm-hmm. um, yeah, and but but the other the other comparison, I guess if you um. If you're comparing chain with derailleur and cassette versus belt with internally geared hub, there's a little bit of a weight penalty on the internally geared hub. Okay. But, but yeah, just belt versus chain, the belt is yeah probably a, f- a fraction of the weight of uh, a chain.
2: Yeah, and, and some bikes like uh, for instance the Luna Eclipse, they don't have any kind of um, uh, gear system. Ah, that's And, and, and I'm yeah. kind of I'm kind of thinking. Mm-hmm you know you guys must really pay attention to you know what what new gear systems are coming out Mm. internally hub stuff can you tell us like what what kind of cool stuff is coming because like I think about that bike in particular and I'm like man just a three speed on that would be a big change um is there is there any like low cost like you know because that kind of goes with belts pretty tightly are you guys looking into that kind of stuff? Like, you guys aren't developing anything, right? Like, is that something you guys think about?
1: It's um, it's it's something we think about all the time, and and it's one reason why we work closely with the major uh, shifting companies, of course. Um, like making sure our components are compatible with Shimano internally geared hubs, and also in terms of your question about like, what's what's new and exciting in the shifting field, the the things, the two things that are gonna make the biggest impact on belt uptake are um, adoption of technologies like the BaFung H700, which has the motor and I believe two gears, is it two or three gears for the H700? Do you guys know this one?
2: I feel like no. it's three, but because um, I yeah,
1: saw- I, I, yeah,
2: I think you're right. Yes, I think
1: it's three gears. You might have ridden it at Eurobike, or have it, you ridden it yet? I, I think we
0: saw it there. Yeah. I'm not sure if we actually rode that motor yet.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, that one's super cool because it's it's not only got the gearing and the motor all together in the rear hub, but it also shifts for you automatically, which, as you, you may, you probably have experienced the automatic shift on MVLO, which is awesome. I think the... The market's going to adopt that especially in the us where we love automatic shifting right uh, um, so that's super exciting but then the also the integration of gearing and motors in the mid-drive is also going to be really important which companies like Valeo have introduced i expect more companies will introduce technology like that in the future that's
0: absolutely great. yeah i mean i would love to see either you know a partnership like you guys working with a company or even just like a Gates transmission one day would be pretty awesome to see on a bike.
1: Yeah. That would yeah that that would be uh, one day.
2: Uh, no, no promises, but yeah that would be that would be amazing. I guess, I guess the concern would be stepping on toes of your partners and stuff like that, but
1: Yeah, exactly. And we we do have um some other partnerships like with um, like Enviolo, they're, they're developing incredible gearing, um, the continuously variable transmission gearing that's, you know, stepless. Um, also, another new company that was uh, an exciting launch at Eurobike was the 3x3 Hub. Did you guys have a chance to check that out? I don't recall
2: that one. What's the 3x3 Hub?
1: So the 3x3 is by the company HB Tech, which is an automotive. They, they come from the automotive world. And um, like the name implies, it's uh, you get nine gears. I think um, the the gear ratio is something around 500%. So um, really impressive gear ratio, very impressive shifting under load, which is really important for e-bikes. And um, I think the other advantage that they have is it's it's um, fairly lightweight for an internally geared hub. So. Overall, at, at Eurobike, the, the amount of um, innovation in the gearing space was pretty impressive. And it's, it's yeah, it, it's very helpful for belt drive uptake.
0: Absolutely. So uh, you, you mentioned at the start of the show that you're in Turkey because you guys are opening a production facility there. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah. Yeah, so, of course, with... Um, the the added attention to supply chain over the last two years of you know this this crazy uh, pandemic post pandemic world we we realize how important it is to have shorter supply chains and, and gates even starting 50 years ago we realized the importance of having a local for local um, manufacturing strategy where we, we manufacture in the regions where we sell, and, and that's why we have belt plants all over the world. However, um, our sprockets historically have been, we've been sourcing them in uh, Asia. And this brings our sprocket production, first of all, it brings it in house, which is really important we can control our destiny um, and and quicker speed to uh, our, from R&D to production um, by having, having uh us control our our manufacturing Um, but the other thing is it's so much closer to the key market europe is our biggest market uh, for for our bike products by far and having the supply chain you know it's basically just a a boat ride from izmir turkey to uh, italy and then it you know trucks the rest of the way to uh, germany where where we distribute our um our bike sprockets so shortens our supply chain gives us more uh, control over our destiny and uh, yeah it's a big win and so we were celebrating it and uh, you might see some some news coming out uh, next week on that
0: absolutely well we'll be looking forward to that and uh, all of our viewers should be looking for that too because we'll be excited to cover any news about that uh, new production facility uh, jonathan we want to thank you so much for joining us on the show and a big thanks to uh gates carbon drive for sponsoring this episode and uh, we can't wait to cover some uh some new news coming out from you guys soon
1: yeah my pleasure micah and seth thank you so much for having me on the show and i love what you guys are doing with electric so all the Absolutely. best awesome.
2: jonathan thank you thank you take care
0: all right so all right. that was uh gates carbon drive i know we've We've ridden a ton of different bikes and uh, motorbikes with their, their systems on it, but we have a lot more bikes to talk about today. Um, we've got a pile of new e-bike launches and some uh, motorcycle rides. So I think the next story on the list is going to be the recent launch of a super popular electric bike known as the Electric XP 3.0. I know, Seth, you and I have both been drooling over this thing. Um, I'm... Pretty excited that I got a chance to test ride it for like an hour uh, early before it launched. So I was able to get this first ride experience up. If you guys haven't seen it, it's on the website, but um, basically this is the third rendition of what has been a super popular entry-level e-bike. When we talk about entry-level e-bikes, you know, a lot of people think of these cheap sort of like Amazon and cheer bikes, but electric has always been a step or maybe a step and a half above those bikes. So they come in, in the 900 to $1,000 range but the XP 3.0 has so many cool features on it. There's, there's a lot going on here. There's a integrated rear rack built into the frame, so it can support 150 pounds. That means you can carry a you know, normal-sized person back there, and if they say 150, you know they loaded it up with like you know 230 in testing. So you can probably exceed that a little bit, even though they, they won't say you can. Uh, it's got pegs and a little handlebar back there to make a passenger feel more comfortable, especially when you're going fast since this is a Class 3 e-bike that can operate up to 28 miles per hour. Uh, let's see what else. It comes with two battery options. So there's the um, normal, I think it's 480-watt-hour battery, but there's also a uh, larger battery option that gives you uh, about 40% more battery and range. And, uh, of course, it's a folding fat tire bike, so you get all the advantages of both. That means it can go you know, off-road, you can ride it on grass, dirt, that kind of thing. You can also fold it up to throw it in the back of a car and then you don't need like a you know a car hitch or or anything like that to take it to wherever you like to ride you can just ride it there yourself and the real kicker here is is really that that price that we talked about you know 999 dollars. that's about as cheap as you can go in the industry without having to to cheap out on parts and i think you know if you look at this bike obviously it doesn't have the highest grade parts um, you know, it's, it's mechanical disc brakes, that sort of thing, though. There's still 180 millimeter rotors, which is nice, but you've got a hydraulic fork. You've got that suspension built in. You've got a suspension seat post, uh, Shimano shifters. So, you know, it's decent stuff, not high end components, but it's good enough that it's the kind of bike I would put my mom on and feel comfortable about her riding it, that it's, you know, not kind of, kind of cheap stuff. I know you've been uh, looking at this as much as I have, Seth, what do you think about the the new bike?
2: Yeah, I, I I've been enjoying what electric's been doing for quite some time. Uh, I even like their logo; kind of looks like our logo a little bit. But uh, <laughs> you know, leaving that alone, uh, the you know the the nine ninety nine price point obviously you know is a big deal. Like that's you know when people say, "Hey, I'm I want to get an electric bike. What should I get?" And you know, I'll say something that's like twenty five hundred bucks, and they'll be like, uh, "No, I was thinking." something under a thousand bucks and invariably i'll just be like it just get the electric (laughs) it's always the thing that like people with the price point under a thousand bucks that's the one you recommend so uh i think this upgrade cycle was like pretty much like what everybody would ask for right like a little bit more power a little bit more torque uh the option of having a folding bike that can carry two people although i would say the back person looked a little low. Like it seems like that would be a little uncomfortable, but you know, I don't think that's like, I think that's more like an emergency situation rather than a, uh, you know, this is how we're getting to school. But, you know, I guess also, you know, if you want to put a kid back there, that's kind of the way to do it.
0: Um, What's, what's interesting there is um, so I was talking to the designers of the bike mm -hmm. and they said that, you know, they looked at bikes like the rad runner and they measured, you know, how far the pegs were from the seat and they tried to maintain that distance, but with a lower seat. So, mm. you know, like the kind of like leg fold situation would be similar to a rad runner. But um, I know, you know, you've you've seen rad runners and ridden them around. I don't know if you've been on the back of one or not, but the you're up really high when you're on the back because it's got that really high rack. And right. with this, the goal was to get that seat lower so that you don't have such a tall, you know, uh, high center of gravity back there, which has its advantages and disadvantages. But I think that was the the reasoning there.
2: Yeah. And I guess you're not gonna be able to see the road too well and all the other stuff. But again, this is you know, a folding bike to get two people on it at all is kind of impressive. Um and then, you know, like they've they've kind of just been low key, but I, I wonder if they're you know one of the bigger bike makers now because they you know they have this like perfect form factor. They ship the bike fully assembled. Um, You know, it's foldable. You know, another bike company uh, sent me their foldable bike, and it was not assembled in a regular bike box. And uh, I was like, why don't you just fold this up? It would be a much smaller box, and it would, you know. (laughs) But uh, I think just this company is doing kind of all the right things. So, and this is an impressive uh, addition. When are these going to be shipping?
0: I believe that they're if they're not shipping yet in the next week or two, I, I think they they already have inventory or it's very close to shipping. There are a few, um, I think, colors that that or like specific setups, like you know, black step through or something. I think was a little bit delayed. Mm-hmm. And then I know the passenger package is uh, shipping like four weeks from now, but I think most of the models are in stock or they will be in the next few days.
2: Okay, and uh, you know. Like we, we didn't go down the list of uh, improvements, but can you kind of sum it up? I know the motor is a little bit more powerful, obviously the uh, the the rear rack with the, the seat post. What else have we got on this thing?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um the new rack, the higher torque motor. Uh, higher current controller. There's a little bit more travel in the suspension. I think it's like 20% more travel. Mm-hmm. I believe the bars are wider, the handlebars. So you get a little more control in the steering. There's also a little more space to add, um, you know, accessories, that kind of thing up there. And then uh, just a, a bunch of new accessories they've added, including that passenger package uh, delivery accessories. So if you're going to do like you know Uber eats or Postmates or whatever, Right. Um, and they have like uh dog carriers. I was excited for that one, but I think it's up to like um forty pounds or something. My dog's like 70 pounds, so not gonna work for mine.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh and their their accessories are also reasonably priced. I remember the uh the passenger pack was like what, fifty, seventy dollars, something like that.
0: Yeah, it's like I mean, I, I hope they're making enough that this is sustainable, you know. Like they they probably have tighter margins than rad or another company, but I hope that they're you know, not not cutting that so razor thin that they're not going to be able to sustain
2: these great prices. And are they? Uh, so yeah, you know, talking about that. Do we know anything about like their funding, where it's coming from? Are they profitable? Are they, you know what's their plans for the future? I mean, you had some time with the CEO, uh, so maybe he's you know kind of sneaked some info toward you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um, unfortunately, we don't know too much about profitability. I have to assume by this point they are. They've only recently gotten to the point where they actually have inventory in stock. They were in like two years of perpetual pre-orders because they had that much demand. Uh, I know they do have some VC funding, but they haven't announced how much. Some companies, you know, like um, send out press releases every time they get funding, and some companies keep it a little closer to the vest. So Electric has always kept that stuff uh, a little quieter, and they haven't, you know, bragged about their funding that kind of thing. But they they do make it sound like the electric XP series is outselling other bikes based on their data. I don't think that they sell as many bikes total as rad, but they might've gotten to second place now in terms of uh, total sales.
2: Right. Yeah. That's, that's impressive. They're, they're certainly a company to watch. They seem to be hitting all the right spots. All right. uh, Moving on electric brand bike brand Saunders files for IPO with new product hints, but details raise troubling questions.
0: Yeah, this one is wild. Oh, man. So (laughs) buckle up here, folks. Uh, A few things. Saunders, if you don't know about them, they're a uh, mostly electric bicycle company, though they've gotten into electric motorcycles now. And they do have like this three-wheeled electric car thing that's, we'll we'll get to that. Um, And so they're going to be, assuming this IPO goes through, the first electric bicycle company in the US to go public. All these other big companies are all private. And so they had to file what's called a uh, S1 filing. <clears throat> and that's where uh, they basically lay out their financial situation to the SEC, and they make a clear picture of what their situation is to investors so people can know if they're going to want to like buy into this IPO. And this is the first time we've seen a like whole treasure trove of information from the company, and, and it just unveiled so many things. And some of them are uh, a bit questionable. So um, some of the big issues at first were um, numbers of bikes produced because the company has is, is bragged about how they've... Um, sold over two hundred and fifty thousand bikes, but in this one filing, it said they've only sold fifty thousand. So that one, we actually got to talk to the company, and and they were able to confirm um, that the the company has actually sort of restructured a few times, and so the legal entity that is now filing an IPO has produced fifty thousand bikes, but previously it's gone through a few sort of structure changes, and huh. so th- that one kind of like makes sense. And it's like, is all that, right, so is that
2: good news or bad news?
0: I think it's more just like um uh, like legal, you know sort of okay. uh, gymnastics Entity. kind of thing. yeah, okay. I, I don't think it was like
2: deceptive the creative way it accounting yeah and
0: and that was unfortunately one of the few things the company could actually talk about. Um, I, I couldn't get anything on the record. Um, even the person I spoke to wouldn't go on on record, so uh, it's a, a anonymous company source, but um everything else is still kind of up in the air here. So uh, we saw issues with their finances. They they have a significant amount of debt, mostly in the form of not to, to banks or lenders, but to sort of private lenders in the sense that they're all these pre-orders. They have something like $19 million in uh, pre-orders, which is a, uh, a huge amount to fulfill, but they don't have a lot of cash on hand. They have something like 5 million cash on hand. And then total assets uh, doesn't add up to the amount of pre-orders they have. So just based on like all of their assets that they have, it's questionable whether they would be able to fulfill all these orders right now. So it's looking like this IPO is kind of a necessary step to be able to actually fulfill all of the outstanding orders they have, which most of those orders are going to be metacycle orders. They're a $5,000 electric motorcycle that has since increased to $6,500. So uh, it's not as much uh, electric bicycles as it is this sort of harder to produce very sophisticated um, frame electric motorcycle. but it's not all bad news because we also saw some very interesting updates from the company including some products that they say that they're working on and that includes things like uh, electric ATVs, uh, metacycle styled electric bikes, and also uh, higher power motorcycles because the metacycle is kind of like a maybe one hundred and twenty five to Light 250 cc type of uh, electric motorcycle that class, and so they're also talking about a you know a higher power uh, electric motorcycle, something that might compete more with a zero. So there's some some questionable business stuff going on there. Um, you know nothing that's like you know fraud or anything like that, but just like you know some some issues about the financial health of the company. But there's also assuming they can pull it off, some interesting products in the work there as well. So it's it's certainly worth keeping an eye on.
2: Right. So it sounds like if they don't get this IPO, they're not going to be able to fulfill their pre-orders. Or financially, it doesn't seem like, you know, they could take private money, I guess, or or whatever. But unless they get some more money somehow, they're not going to be able to fulfill the orders that they've already sold.
0: Yeah. And that could come in different forms. You know, it could come in, um, you know, traditional debt from a loan. Um, it could come from, you know, uh, VCs, it could come from anywhere, but yeah, it does seem, uh, like they're in a precarious position though. It it should be noted that, uh, all the numbers that we have are current to the end of the second quarter of 2022. So if they've gotten any more money, if they've gotten, you know, loans or funding or VC or anything in the last quarter, then, you know, we're not, uh, aware of any of that. So this is sort of like a snapshot in time from the end of the second
1: quarter.
2: Yeah. And so, um, know we've talked about saunders quite a bit in the past um not just the metacycle but their bike business as well um they've come out with the mad mods which i think uh a lot of people like the look of uh you know they look really cool they're a little bit i would say you know maybe a little bit underpowered for how cool they look like I, i feel like you could buy one of these and put in like a you know a five kilowatt motor or something and you know, bigger battery and a controller and it would be super cool. But anyway, uh, did they say anything about the bike business in particular?
0: Um, it's, it's like a 50 page document. And so there might be some more meat in there about the bike stuff, but most of what I was reading was more related to, uh, their, uh, metacycle production. Mm -hmm. And also there was, um, not a lot of discussion about their three wheeled electric car, but it did mention that, um, you know, there's losses there. And that uh, there's actually two companies that operate within Saunders, one being the bike company uh, that also does the motorcycle and the other being the Saunders electric car company. Got so it. that's kind of being rolled together into this IPO.
2: Interesting. Uh, yeah, so that that's, uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. It would be a shame if, uh, you know, they weren't able to get the money and the company would have to fold or create a new entity or whatever. Um, I, I really like uh the the design of the Saunders bikes that have been released recently, not just the mad mods, but also um those mid-drives that came out, I don't know, like a year ago. Um and you can see them if you're watching. Um these these all have Buffang ultra uh motors, or the, the mid-drive ones do. Um but they are kind of like lower spec controllers. Um Do we know if people are like upgrading these to, you know, 1.5 kilowatts and and beyond?
0: Yeah, I imagine most people that are buying Saunders aren't, you know, as technically inclined as you would need to be to be able to make those kind of modifications to their controllers. Uh, The other thing is, I don't know how many of these are out there yet. They have begun deliveries, but I think I've only seen like one or two in all of, you know, like Reddit, social media, Facebook, everywhere where people share bikes, like, I just have not seen very many uh, very many of these. I think this is the Rockstar series or something of uh, Saunders bike. Same with the Mad Mods. I think I've seen one, like, posted in the wild. So I'm just not sure how many opportunities people have had yet with, uh, you know, limited deliveries.
2: You know, what's crazy is uh, somebody in my town had a, a red Mad Mod.
0: Yeah, wow. Yeah, just
2: riding it around, like, uh, and I was like, what? How, how did you even get that? He's like, oh, I saw it on a lock track, which, thank you. <laughs> and uh, I... Put it in the order the first day, uh, so like when we got it, I, I feel like we saw the post, or like maybe we got it in an email or something. There was like some back channel where we we found that the mad mods. So the fact that we got it up early and he ordered it right away means he got like one of the first ones, and oh, it looked awesome. cool. Uh, I didn't did like I said it did, those don't go as fast as they look like they would go. I mean they're heavy bikes and the motors are pretty you know, mediocre. So,
0: yeah, well, it's, it's funny. Cause I was riding the uh, Metacycle, which I should have the review up this week. And while I was riding it, I stopped at a red light and a dude on a Harley pulled up like two lanes over and yelled out to me that he was like, Hey, you got one. I'm in the second round of orders.
2: <laughs> nice. All right. Yeah. We'll look forward to that. Uh, that review. Um, moving on uh, this funky bike electric bike claims to be the safest e-bike in the world
0: so safest in this sense is like that you're not gonna fall off of it not that it's got like airbags or you know like uh collision avoidance or anything like that this you is you don't even the, uh... need a
2: helmet according to this uh
0: <laughs> well they're, they're dutch so i guess you okay. know, helmets are optional right uh so this is the the van rom balance i hope i'm pronouncing that correctly if anyone is dutch you can let me know uh but basically it's got a sort of weird-looking frame that is like one of the deepest step-throughs I've ever seen, and then it's got a seat post angle that's like so laid back that it's it's like almost horizontal. The the post coming into that seat, and the idea is that uh, for older folks, not only is it easy to get onto because you can you know step right through it, but the it's such a pedal-forward design that you can have the correct leg extension while basically still having your butt really close to the ground and being able to flat foot it. So anytime you come to a stop, you can put both feet down. And so the bike is designed to to basically be um, something that you just can't fall off of, that you get proper cycling geometry without feeling like you're going to, you know, teeter totter when you when you come to a stop. And so it's, it's really, you know, optimized for older people or for people with mobility issues, that kind of thing. But it's, it's interesting how you can take, you know, a traditional sort of diamond frame e-bike and you can modify it to this extent while still keeping like all of the right geometry and all of the right, you know, leg extension and everything like that. It's, it's kind of wild what you can do when you just start like stretching tubes out of the way.
2: Yeah. And you've got that ultra low step through as well. So, uh, good for the old folks. Although, um, I, I, know those trikes are big as well. Like, uh, wouldn't a trike theoretically be a little bit safer or, you know, does the turning on a trike kind of nullify any safety?
0: So that's a good point and I think they made the the point of qualifying that it's the safest two-wheeled uh, electric bike out there. Yeah. So they I think think people have questioned them on that claim before so they qualified it this time.
2: Yeah, it's nice though that you can get just put your feet down pretty easily uh in the picture on the thing. It looks like he's just pretty casual about it. Um yeah. I wonder like it's certainly not going to be good aerodynamics to have the uh the meat flag straight up but I wonder what it's like, uh, you know, long-term riding because you're kind of, you know, like a little bit more scissored, uh, position wise. Did they talk about that at all? Like,
0: so I haven't heard anything about that from them. Um, that would be interesting. I imagine, you know, this would feel quite different with your feet so far forward like that. Mm-hmm. Um, if we ever get a chance to get one of these over, I don't even know if they're going to come to the U S but, uh, I would love to try one of these just for that reason and you know i'm someone who very much likes to have my seat lower because i like to be able to flat foot it or at least you know be able to get both feet down and i'm not mm-hmm. a tall guy at you know five foot seven and so you know something like this speaks to me even if i'm 33 years old and not one of the folks that's you know probably going to be falling off a bike
2: right Well, anytime soon uh <laughs> so uh all right uh and what are the, what are the prices on these
0: Yeah. These things are really expensive. Um, it's the non-electric version is something like 17, 1800 bucks, but the electric one is like three and a half or like 3.8 thousand. So they're, they're not cheap at all, but you know, Dutch bikes are not known for being super affordable.
2: Right. And, uh, yeah, you get the retirement fund. So yeah, break out the wallet. All right. Scientific study shows how much traffic increases when e-bikes and e-scooters are banned.
0: So this was a really interesting study. It occurred in Atlanta. And um, the data actually comes from uh, just a few months before the COVID-19 pandemic. So This is all pre-COVID. And what happened is uh, Atlanta passed a, an ordinance that banned electric scooter and bike uh, shared companies from operating in the evenings. And so um, with that kind of like perfect compliance that before and after a certain date, you had all these scooters running around, and then after the date, you had none of them. Uh, these um, scientists were able to study this data and find an interesting sort of correlation. So when they take the exact same time period, which is the evenings in Atlanta traffic, and they looked at the six weeks before the scooter ban and six weeks after, they found that um, uh, commute times essentially or you know travel times by car were on average about 10% longer oh, in wow. the city um, when you didn't have any scooters around. And they found that when they chose nights where there were events, I think they used the um, Mercedes Benz stadium there in Atlanta, that there was a 30, like 5% increase in travel time, which is wild. Yeah. yeah. So it, I mean, it, it really shows that uh, there's a significant shift of people when they're not uh, using scooters or when scooters and e-bikes aren't available, that they're you know moving back to private cars and it's like putting a statistically significant impact on the travel times of everybody. And it really, you know, hammers home that point that it's not that everyone needs to switch to an e-bike or an e-scooter, but that if a few people do, it impacts everybody and it improves the situation for everybody.
2: Yeah. I feel like that point needs to be hammered home a little bit more uh, in the media and in the uh, marketing of these uh, mobility companies. Um, So has Atlanta like, taken this information and said, okay, let's, let's go back to scooters. Or where are we, where do we stand?
0: I think the ban is still in place. It's just an evening one. So there were a number of accidents and uh, unfortunately this seems to happen. Like, you know, there are accidents then we blame scooters instead of fixing the problems, like, you know, bad bike lanes and that kind of thing. I was just going to say uh, this
2: picture that, that we have leading has like one of those, you know, infrastructure where they just paint like a bike on a regular road Uh, which doesn't do anything for anybody except, you know, you know, maybe like tells the drivers that like you're about to encounter a scooter driver or biker. Um, So yeah, maybe, maybe uh, Atlanta also should think about that as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And of course, you know, it's not cheap to put in bike infrastructure, but when you see these kinds of studies that point out just what a big impact it makes, then I think it's time to start talking about, you know, is it worth the dollars and cents now?
2: Yeah. All right, this was exciting. Uh, GMC announces Hummer EV electric bike with all-wheel drive to complement electric super truck.
0: Yeah, this this has me uh, conflicted. So it's a very cool e-bike. Like, Don't get me wrong. So this uh, Hummer EV bike, it's all-wheel drive. So it's got dual motors. They're each 750 watt, but they both put out something like uh, 1200 watts peak. So, you know, this is a very powerful bike. Fat tires. So, you know, that's awesome. You can ride it on sand dirt, that kind of thing, a fairly large battery. I want to say it was 840 watt hours, if I'm not mistaken. Um, hydraulic disc brakes, of course, I think it's um, four piston hydraulic disc brakes. So, um, you know, very good quality stuff. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's not really like a GMC e-bike. There was a licensing deal between um, I think it's recon bike. if I'm not mistaken. And so basically uh, Recon produces this bike and GMC gets to put their name on it. And so it's the Hummer EV e-bike produced by another company. And it's designed to sort of be a companion for the um, Hummer EV super truck. It'll be in uh, GMC dealerships, but you can also buy it online. And, you know, as an e-bike like, you know, it's cool. It's excessive. That's fine. Cause like, you know, even if it's using twice as much energy as a normal e-bike, it's still sipping, uh, watt hours, but I, this might be controversial, but I am just not a fan of the Hummer EV super truck as someone who gets around on two wheels all the time. Like it's, it's like a slap in the face. Yeah, I, I get that I it's you better, it. you know, than, than like, a you know, the, the former gas Hummers or whatever, but you know, the, the battery in that, Hummer could make 200 batteries in the Hummer EV e-bike or just
2: five like cars like they could make five EVs or like 20 you know plug-in hybrids
0: there you go so like from a resource standpoint like it's it's kind of like you know an affront to humanity I think is what I put in the uh the take at the end but the other thing is like Just if you look at the size of those vehicles and the weight, so the the Hummer Super Truck there, it's 9,000 pounds. Like that's like a commercial truck. I mean, imagine like there's nothing that could get in an accident with that and would be okay. Like you could hit somebody with that and not even realize it. And so I, I don't know. Like I like the Hummer EV bike, but anytime I see that, that Super Truck thing, like I get these, these bad feelings.
2: Right. Yeah. And and one thing about the truck form factor, just, you know, the Ford F-150, the GMC Sierra, Silverado, all those things that are becoming EVs, they're still trucks. They're still huge. And they're still like kind of, you know, a menace to society in terms of like, hey, you know, you, you can't see people in front of you because you're 16 feet up in the air and you have a huge trunk over you. And, you know, you, you can't park these things in normal parking spots. So you're like, you know over the edge you're like in the middle of the street if you're trying to parallel park they're just like they shouldn't like i i get like you know you need a work truck you need to you know haul stuff places i get it that makes sense but really like most people who buy a ford f-150 are just you know compensating for something
1: or you know like
2: (laughs) there there's there's something going on psychologically that they think they need a, a vehicle that's so much larger than Ah, uh, what they what they uh, really you know they're buying something that they don't need, um, so yeah, I get it, and you know partic- particularly from a biker's standpoint, it's really sad to see the proliferation of these vehicles.
0: Yeah, but a cool all-wheel drive bike, so you know, that, that's yeah, the bike's neat. cool. The bike's <laughs> cool.
2: Good job on the bike. All right, moving on. Honda patents this tiny, teeny, tiny electric motorcycle, which I love to see that snaps together with others like transformers.
0: I'm so excited about this. It probably won't happen. It's just a patent, and these things rarely turn into reality. But this is a really cool bike. So get this. the The idea is that this would be a um, shared mobility kind of thing. So think like you know Lime and Bird, those kinds of companies. But instead of stand up scooters, it's seated. Now it's very small. Those are probably like 10 inch wheels. So it's like a you know little little tiny seated scooter. But the really cool thing here is that When they go to like collect these at the end of the day, generally you have to send out a van that comes around and picks up, you know, like 30 scooters. But with these, they're designed to like snap together. So you get like a whole flock of them that you just have one person sitting on the one in front and he's driving it. And there's actually electric connectors in the snap connections. So when you like twist the throttle on the front one, all the other ones like give you Power. And so you're not just like one bike trying to drag 10 of these things and so, they even steer. So um, only the front one actually turns, but the uh, side ones, when you turn the the fork on the front one, the uh, motor spins up faster on the outer bikes and you get like tank steer.
2: That's crazy. Yeah, so right? I have, I have to say this is less like transformers and more like Voltron. Like they're, the bikes are coming together to form a bigger like entity.
0: There you go. Yeah. All right. I gotta get my uh, my transformers. 80, '80s great. cartoon uh, yeah.
2: stuff going. Um, I have to ask though. Like, could more people ride on this? Could you have like a you know like a centipede of uh, bikes coming down the road? <laughs> is that something that uh, we're gonna see in the future?
0: Theoretically, I don't see why not. I mean, of course, this is all on paper at this point, so like anything's possible. But if the goal is to literally have these things all connect and ride together, then that would actually, I feel like that would work. And in some ways it would be even safer because you you can't run into somebody if you're connected to them.
2: Right. And probably more efficient, you know, you're, you're uh, distributing the power perhaps uh, more aerodynamically uh, efficient as well. A lot of, a lot of uh, interesting things could happen here.
0: Yeah. It's a Peloton of scooters kind of, right.
2: Right. That's so super cool. Uh, so we have no idea if this is actually being built or even contemplated.
0: Yeah, it's I mean, Honda's put out a lot of weird electric motorbike patents in the last few years. Some of them seem like they're actually in the process. So it's not like all oh, this is going to waste. There's mm-hmm. a chance this could happen. And something, you know, this sophisticated, like real time was spent on the design. I was so, going to say, know,
2: yeah. It seems like they've really thought about this.
0: Yeah. I mean, it isn't just like, you know, some idea that like, oh, you know, patent that's no one takes it. Like they, they really designed this thing out. So, you know, if there's been that much investment so far, it's not crazy to think this could actually come to to life.
2: All right. Imagine this scenario. You get the front, you get like the bus driver on the front (laughs) and you take kids to school on one of these and they just like link up and you go around town, linking up kids and then you bring them to school.
0: Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, they have like um, sort of bus bicycles in, you know, like Amsterdam and places. Right. And so this would be like the next step up from that.
2: Right. I love yep. it. It's super get cool. a Honda on the phone. Yep. Let's get him on the phone. Somebody, my, my assistant, get him on the phone. All right. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Uh, Rivid Anthem. Uh, first ride testing a budget electric motorcycle that looks like a million bucks
0: yeah so uh two first rides on motorcycles to to finish this out the the first of the first rides is the rivet anthem and this is a really interesting electric motorcycle we've talked about it a bit before but just as a refresher this is a uh, startup from la i think they're based in irvine and they're building a very new type of motorcycle so instead of a welded frame it's all like flat metal that's been folded it's largely joined together by fasteners, and there's a lot of customization available in the frame because of that. You can actually change the angle of your head tube, so you can get like a little more chopper or a little less chopper. Um, you can change your suspension points, so um, you can play with the angle of the suspension, and you can actually change the seat height on the fly. So while you're riding, you can raise and lower the seat by four inches. So it's like a really, really cool design, not to mention that it's got a removable battery. It's only like four, maybe four and a half kilowatt hours. So it's not super big, but the way they make that like 65 pound battery removable is that it's got little wheels on the bottom. Yeah. So it'll like fulcrum down. So you don't actually have to support the full weight and then it'll roll out. And it's like a little, you know, like rolly backpack that you can drag into the elevator and take up to your apartment to charge if you don't have a a garage or something. So, um. Like a really cool design. And I got the chance to to try this out when I was in LA recently. And it's actually a very nice performing bike. It's not super powerful, but like it just squirts out at the at the red lights when they turn green. And it is so much fun to flick around. It's it's quite lightweight. I think it's like um 250 pounds, something like that. So you know, for a motorcycle, it's it's very light and it's just you know, it's so easy to ride and it's It's a really fun, lightweight, sort of uh, low to to mid power electric motorcycle, and for seventy eight hundred bucks, it's it's just really not that expensive compared to you know twenty thousand dollars zeros.
2: Yeah, Um, and and how was the ride? Did it like pretty smooth, pretty uh, you know straightforward?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's dialed in nicely. These are, of course, two prototypes that I was riding. And so they're not going to start deliveries until the spring and they're and they're still making slight changes. But, um, you know, in terms of the suspension, it was actually quite comfortable for riding in the city you know, even things like potholes, speed bumps, that sort of thing. And then being able to change the seat height was really interesting because, you know, you could come to a red light and you could lower it down. Sort of like we were talking about with that um, bike that, you know, you could get a lower seat so that you can put your feet flat on the ground. And then when you're riding, you get it higher up. Uh, the funny thing is, once you have the option, it's like, I couldn't decide how high I wanted my seat anymore. You know, on any other motorcycle, it's like, you get right. on it, it's like, well, this is the seat height. But right. when you have the freedom to change it, it's like, well, I don't know where I want it now. Right. So uh, I, I kept playing with it, trying to figure out where, where was the best spot. But I mean, as far as a ride goes, it was just, it was quite comfortable. Um, you know, you're fairly upright even. I mean, you can tuck in and, and get like a fun, sporty ride um, as much as, you know, you can get with like a, I think it's like a 15 kilowatt peak or something motor, you know, not terribly powerful, but it's, it's still, you know, fun, comfortable and, and for a light sort of urban commuter bike. I mean, it it was awesome. Like I, I left the ride wanting to like put down a reservation. That's how much fun it was. That's
2: awesome. Um, so I saw some lane splitting there. Uh, so worked all around, uh, did you get any kind of feel of like the full range? I think you said there's a five, four or five kilowatt hour battery. What kind of range yeah. can you see from that?
0: Yeah. So that was like my biggest takeaway on my, um, you know, bummer list was just that the range wasn't amazing. So I think we did something like um, 35 to 40 miles, something like that. And I still had maybe, 20% charge. So with mixed riding, I was getting somewhere around like 50 miles or so. I think they say up to 75 mile range, but that's, you know, really, if you're staying in the city and most people, if you're in a place like LA with, you know, faster roads, then you're, you're not going to really see 75 miles. So I think, you know, assuming something like 45 to 50 miles with mixed riding, that's probably the safe number. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you were doing only highway riding, I mean, that might drop down to like 30, 35 miles even. So Right. You know, it's, it's got a fairly small battery and that is the limiting factor, but at the same time, like more battery means more money. So 7,800 bucks, I think that, you know, they were maxing out how much battery they could get in there and also keeping it removable. So I would say, you know, for anyone looking for a longer range bike, unfortunately this one isn't going to be it, but as a, as an urban commuter, as long as, you know, your commute isn't longer than 40, 45 miles, you're going to be fine.
2: Or, you know, maybe you can plug in at the office or something.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
2: Um, And did you, were you able to take the battery off and wheel it around?
0: So I didn't actually remove it. Um, I was only out with them for a couple hours. And so it was just purely riding. Um, Mm -hmm. I've seen it removed when I was first interviewing uh, one of the founders for the um, article that I wrote a few months ago when they unveiled it. Uh, We had a Zoom call and he like live on the Zoom call just like took the battery out. It was like right behind him. I think his computer's in his garage. Mm-hmm. So um, it was cool to see it done, but this was like totally riding. So I didn't get a chance to play with the battery.
2: And where are they going to make these?
0: They're produced, like the, the parts are produced overseas. I'm not sure exactly where um, I assume China, but, but I don't really know, but the assembly will be in the U S. So it's one of these like designed in the U S parts made overseas and then assembled in the U S type of situations.
2: Yep. Cool. Uh, so let's talk about another bike here. Uh, the CSC RX1E, uh, similar price, $8,000 and 80 miles per hour electric motorcycle is a perfect starter bike.
0: Yeah, this one, it's interesting because the specs are very similar, but they're very different rides. And so uh, the RX1E here from CSC, it's another um, California-based company, not, not far away either. They're in Azusa. Um, and so this it looks like an adventure bike, you know, um, but it's it's really more of this urban commuter, despite the adventure bike style. Mm -hmm. But the the fact that it's got that styling also means that you know it's got a more upright position. So you're really sitting pretty straight up. You've got your feet a little more forward. It's not a cruiser by any stretch of the imagination, but it's got a little more of the comfort of a, you know, the cruiser end of the spectrum. Uh, and it also has a windshield on it, which means you're not getting like buffeted by so much wind. It's basically going sort of up and around. So, you know, getting a little in the helmet, but you, you're pretty comfortable sitting there upright without feeling like you're going to get, you know, like sucked off the bike. Um, like you're a big, you know, meat sale, like you said. Um, and then the, the suspension is surprisingly good on this one too. And there's, I mean, there's a lot of things that surprise me here. Like it's, it's so much more bike than I would expect for 8,000 bucks. It's got a liquid cooled motor. Um, uh, belt drive, of course, I think that's a continental belt, so they didn't go with gates. Um, it's also liquid cooled, uh, controller actually as well. The, um, the cooling lines run over the controller and the motor, and then it's got that little radiator in there, which is funny because when it's parked after you're riding it, you can hear like just a little bit of whirring from the radiator. And it's, mm. it's like odd at first, because normally when you park in an, an electric motorcycle, there's like no sound at all. Cause a lot of these are air cooled. So it's like weird to hear a little like something whirring around in there, but um, uh, the I mean the ability to have uh, water cooling on this thing is awesome because you can push it even harder. Like I was doing a lot of canyon carving and just like flying up these canyon roads, climbing uphill, like it was just not heating up at all. Um, some other parts that it's got on it's got Bosch anti-lock brakes, which again for an eight thousand dollar electric motorcycle, really surprising. Uh, all those accessories there come standard. So all those boxes, the um, crash bars, the both the side stand and the center stand, uh, windshield, all that stuff is like all on the entry level model. In fact, there's only one model. Like it's just you only get it with everything on it. And uh, so there's just a lot of value here that I was really surprised to see. It doesn't have some of the features of the Rivid. You can't remove the battery. But the trade off there is so that the battery is about 50% bigger. It's, uh, I think it's six and a half kilowatt hours. So you get more range. It's, it's rated for 112 miles of range, but they say that the real world is more like 80. And then again, if you're doing, you know, like only highway riding, that might drop down to like, you know, 50, 60, that kind of thing. But uh, for most people, this is going to be a commuter motorcycle. So a mixture of highway and city riding. So you'll probably get close to 70 to 80 miles and that kind of mixed setting. So all of that, you know, put together in one bike, it's, it's really quite affordable for what you're getting in my opinion.
2: Yeah. I mean, CSC is kind of known for, you know, pushing the envelope in terms of what you get for the money, but still making quality bikes and, and actually like making bikes. So, you know, a lot of the companies we talk about are very hypothetical and, and if they're going to actually deliver or not, um, you know, we've already talked about Saunders and Rivet and there's a bunch of others out there that are kind of, you know, ramping up, but CSC has you know, been building bikes for a long time. So, you know, if you're thinking about one of these, they're, they're, the chances of it becoming real and accessible are, are much higher. Um, so, you know, this, this form factor is reminiscent of those long travel bikes, but there really isn't a long travel electric bike yet just because the density of the fuel uh, and gas is so much higher than, um, you know, electric batteries. But, uh, you know, the form factor here, you know, is it still conducive to to city riding?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's interesting because, you know, it really gives that adventure look to it. And mm-hmm. if anything, it like it reminds me a bit of the uh, Zero DSRX that was just unveiled earlier this summer. And that's, you know, a true sort of adventure touring bike like 200 something mile range. And it's really meant for, you know, getting out there on fire roads and that sort of thing. This one, it's got the look, but not, you know, it's not really designed for that, but the, the few things that are left over really make it great for the city. Like that upright stance, you know, like you'd normally have that on an adventure bike for spotting, like, you know, logs and rocks and stuff, but on a bike like this, now you can see cars, potholes, that kind of stuff easier. Um, You've got that really comfortable straight up stance. You're not hunched over like um, you know. Each time I ride the the Livewire One, it's got this really long reach on it. So you know, like, you know, you're leaned really far forward over the the faux tank there, and I get used to it each time. But always it surprises me, and I forget like how how far forward you have to lean on the bike. And this one, you just you know, your shoulders are up high, your chest is out, and to me, it's just a much more comfortable way to ride. And that really is sort of like the true adventure styled riding where you're going to be on this bike for many hours. so it, it better be comfortable.
2: Yeah. Uh, not too many hours, but uh, so like, what are, is there a fast charging option or how do you, I saw like a charging plug earlier in the video.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately, there's no fast charging option. Um, it's just got like a basic offboard charger, essentially like an electric bicycle, just a bigger charger than that. So I think the charge is something like, uh, six hours. So basically an overnight kind of situation there. There's no way to like plug into a J 1772 or something like that and get a higher power charge.
2: Hmm. So this is, uh, so the inverter is off the bike, probably saving some weight, but, um, there's no way to charge it at, you know, like, you know, adventure kind of speeds where you would, you know, refill the battery in like an hour, let's say.
0: Unfortunately not. Yeah. That's part of what sort of leaves it in that commuter class is that it's really meant for, you know, parking in your garage overnight and charging up for the next day kind of thing where it's, it's not really meant for that long range riding.
2: Yeah. And, and, uh, I'm surprised they didn't make like a DC charging option just for, you know, it would have obviously added some cost, but you could have theoretically gone on an actual adventure ride, uh, if you could charge much faster, but, um, got to keep those yeah. costs down as well maybe that's something uh for the next version
0: it'd be amazing even to see like an aftermarket you know it's got that big glove box if they could put you know like a, a charge tank like zero has that adds more charging power that would right. be
2: awesome yeah that would be cool all right i think that is all for this week we're gonna look at some of the comments here um so uh i don't think we got to this but uh what happened to the Saunders car three-wheeler. Right, is, yeah. So it's,
0: it's kind of like in purgatory now. Um, it's not like dead in that they still say it's going to happen, but we haven't seen any progress um, in years, I want to say. I, I think it was at like the 2019 LA Auto Show. I think it was last time we saw one in public, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. So Yeah, it's, and,
2: and that was the old one. And I remember uh i think mikey so sorry uh who was there
0: i think jamie was there
2: jamie that's right jamie uh, went to a test drive of it and uh, i think cnet was ahead of him to test drive it and they broke it and they were (laughs) like oh sorry it's broken now you have to go home and you know we had a camera guy and we had the whole thing and it was pretty pretty sad um So I don't know. Are we going to see the car? Is that like somewhere down the list or is it just, should we just think of it as not existing anymore?
0: It's a good question. There's not a huge team there at Saunders. I think I saw something like 20 employees, something like that, maybe less. So like, I don't know how much bandwidth they have to do bikes, motorcycles and cars, but they haven't said the project is dead. So maybe it's just, you know, they let it starve to death and didn't say anything.
2: Right. And maybe they want to offload it to somebody else or something. Maybe one of the engineers can get some funding. All right. Uh, so back to the electric uh, 3.0. Um, is this right? It went from 35 newton meters of torque to 55 newton meters of torque, the the, the motor?
0: That 35 number seems low. I don't yeah. remember how much it was, but I would be surprised if it was 35. So yeah, that's if that's big... correct, that's surprising.
2: Yeah, and it's going to be a much better... Uh, experience uh but i guess also you know if you want to carry a second person you're going to need a little bit more power
0: yeah absolutely
2: uh sb says i thought electric would put out a trike i d- I think trikes are pretty low volume overall oh
0: yeah yeah i don't i don't that's think like that's on niche. their.
2: that's not on their agenda
0: yeah they're all about like huge volume so that right. doesn't really fit their uh their mo
2: I guess I, uh, I was trying to kind of coax out of you, like what you thought or what you think they were kind of hinting at, like their next form factor, because right now they build one form factor, which is the foldable 20 inch bike and they do it really well and really inexpensively, but there's obviously tons of other stuff out there. Do you think electric will get in electric will get into, uh, any, any other form factors?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, they've, They've basically been sticking with like the one trick pony, right? Is like Mm -hmm. just 20 inch folders. Now, they did make the XP Lite, which is a non fat tire version, but it's still a 20 inch folder. So, part of me thinks like it's inevitable that, you know, eventually they make something else. But at the same time, they've been going since 2019 with basically one type of bike. And maybe it's the kind of situation where they're like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it.
2: Right. I don't know. Yeah. And they want to own that space, which is the, I think that is the. You know if we think about what electric bikes were five years ago and what they are today i think the biggest difference is those 20 inch fat tire bikes have like taken over like i think probably 50 percent of all bikes being sold now are probably something like that is that does that sound right to you It's that's a Maybe good question
0: i haven't yeah i haven't seen numbers i know like here in tel aviv the 20 inch uh size is like probably 90% of the market.
2: It's oh, everywhere.
0: Wow. Like it's, that's what everybody has. So yeah, it's,
2: I, I was going to say it, it's more than half of what I see as well, <clears throat> which is interesting. Cause like, you know, since the beginning that the 20 inch have been like not great at pedaling, like, you know, you can pedal them and whatever, but they're just not very efficient. The, the tires are very inefficient and all that. But I guess with the motor, it's like, you know, I'd rather just have a really good experience, and the foldability and the the storage stuff come into play. So, absolutely. I mean, I, I guess we were pretty, you know, spot on because we called like, you know, the Super Seventy Three and and the Juice Scorpion, and all those other ones were kind of like big bikes for us. So, I'm glad. <clears throat> I'm glad that panned out. Uh, Carl in San Diego says that pedal forward Dutch design is pretty awesome for a cargo bike because you can put a foot down easily to stabilize the load without jumping out of the seat. Great point, Carl in San Diego. Thoughts?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I do most of my riding is like city style riding. So it's always like stop, start, stop, start. And for that type of riding, like being able to put your feet down is so much nicer. If you're going out on like an hour long Sunday ride, maybe it doesn't matter to you. But if you're like, you know, utility rider, or you're doing a lot of urban riding, like being able to flat foot it at stops, it's like just makes a much better experience.
2: All right. Uh, Oh, that name sounds familiar. Frederick Lambert (laughs) says, uh, it also shows that e-scooters and e-bikes are actually taking market share from cars and not public transit. That's interesting.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, our fearless leader, uh, Fred Lambert, uh, Editor in chief of the site is absolutely correct. I mean, that, that's the take home message there is that, you know, the increase in traffic when you take away the option of scooters and bikes shows where the shift is. And it means people are moving away from scooters and bikes and into cars. So if you can put that alternative there, it's just taking more and more cars off the road.
2: Yep. All right. Uh, totally agree with. So Ray Living Good says, totally agree with compensating for something. Lots of that are on here. Yeah, you know, it's weird because you never, like, like that's kind of like the common thing with, you know, people say, oh, there must be something you're comp- compensating for when you get this huge truck, but it doesn't seem to bother people. Like, you know, they, they have their own world, I guess.
0: If anything, I want to get like a clown car and then I'll just be picking up chicks right and left.
2: Right. <laughs> Actually, uh, speaking of that, or not that, but uh, I'm trading in my Tesla Model 3 for a, a Chevy Bolt. EV, not the EV, the very small one. Uh, I just decided like I want to be a, in a small car most of the time. So nice. I, will, I will have my clown car.
0: It's the opposite of compensating.
2: Right. Well, that's, a, yeah. Anyway, Steve, <laughs> <laughs> Steve Caesar says uh, the only thing positive you can say about these Hummer EVs and the rest are that they're better than the gas powered cousins. Yep. That's true. Unless Fair we're willing to regulate them out of existence. The EV is better. Yep. Uh, yeah. I mean,
0: better yeah. than bad is not right. great.
2: <laughs> right. What? Uh, so, what's better? What would you be okay with, like a Prius gas powered, or a Hummer EV? Huh.
0: That's interesting. It's funny because, like, you really have to do the cycle life analysis on those right. kinds of things. Like, uh, and it begs all these other questions. Like, I know we got a, a tip the other day from someone who. I don't know if this is true, and I should probably fact check before I say this. But what he was saying is that if you take a vegetarian driving a like gas powered Hummer, there's less overall emissions than like right. someone who eats meat and drives a Prius. So like, you know, you got to look at like the whole picture on these things.
2: Right. And then you take one flight to LA, and your whole year of riding a bike is, <laughs> is thrown out the trash. I, there you go. I know. I like. Uh, you know, we're we're going to the LA Auto Show, and I'm like, oh, like. I was being really good to the environment and then now I'm going cross country for an auto show, which I don't really need to do. But
0: no, I love that now, at least when I look on Google Flights, it shows you the carbon emissions of the different flight options and you can choose based on that. So if you see yeah. a flight and it's like, whoa, that one's like, you know, 50% more emissions, you can actually make you know your your
2: decision that way. Right. But there's no like good option. They're all just like less bad options as yeah, in the yeah, parlance. Better
0: than bad again.
2: Yeah. All right. So Fred's back and uh, with a (laughs) comment that we probably shouldn't discuss, but uh, he calls that Honda thing, the humid centipede of e-bikes. We're just going to leave that. And then uh, another one says, Candace M says how the Power Ranger bike of bikes. So lots of different uh, vibes on that uh, Honda uh, Voltron bike uh, situation there. And I still want to see like a, I mean, Honda should just make that for the publicity alone. Like the marketing team should just make it and and just have like a bus driver driving kids down the street. That'd be so huge. All right. Honda that's for free. You can do that. (laughs) Uh, Joe OWS says a converted Vespa works for me. Yeah. What's like, what is Vespa's problem? Why don't they have like a million electric Vespas out by now? I don't get it. I Makes think sense. they're just
0: so expensive. They have the one that was actually pretty early. It was like 2018, I want to say. Is that the like, Piaggio one or? So it's they they have the oh, what's it called the Electrica. So it's actually under the Vespa brand, but it's like I think eight thousand dollars something like that. You know, like who's yeah. who's going to buy that? So right. it's, they're just too expensive.
2: All right, uh, Solar Adam says huge disadvantage of belt drives is if you want to change a ratio, you need a new belt. Um, that's true. Um, and you know, we probably should have brought this up, uh, with Jonathan, but, um, you know, you also with, uh, Gates belt drives, you have to, you know, either break the triangle in the back or whatever. So it's not, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a really a lot of advantages to belt drives. I mean, so many, but like one disadvantage is you can't like break the belt. And I think there's like some startups thinking about that. I'm sure Gates is probably experimenting with, with belts that are, uh, able to be you know, broken like chains are. Um, But yeah, uh, if you want to change stuff, it's a little bit more difficult. Uh, Yeah, JFT, affordable e-motorcycles have a long way to go. Uh, I think, pun not intended, range is horrible. Um, Yeah,
0: yeah. that's why I think they're really targeting that commuter market right now, especially those two that we talked about, the Rivet Anthem and the CSC RX1E, that they're both, you know, designed for, rides where range isn't an issue you know you're going 20 30 miles to work so it doesn't matter if your range is 50 or 70 or 80 miles
2: yeah and then uh you go back to adam good outweighs the bad on the belt drives chains need constant cleaning lubing and adjusting and i think we talked about that a little bit with jonathan um bubble magic says jimmy chang said 2.0 the electric 2.0 is 35 newton meters uh i don't know jimmy jimmy's a youtuber okay Jimmy doesn't like uh, 30, I don't know. Uh, Last thing, what's your opinion on this new battery by Aiden Energy that charges in three minutes and lasts 20 years? Uh,
0: Sounds like an April Fool's.
2: Yeah, sounds like BS. And then one last thing, uh, Dan Schofage says, belt drive on snowmobiles is getting very popular. Uh, Were you aware of that?
0: I don't do a lot of snowmobiling in Tel Aviv, but oh, really? uh, Yeah, it it does sound like it would be nice, especially on electric ones. You don't hear that chain if you're out like in the snow, like you don't want to be hearing like a, you know, chainsaw noise while you're riding around.
2: Yeah. And you know what? I'm going to like shout out to our sponsor, uh, Gates. One thing I really like night and day difference uh, if you get a Suron, get the Belt Drive version because um, I've driven both and the The chain version is loud and it kind of ruins the experience with all the vibration, not ruins. It's still awesome, but uh, it changes the experience. Uh, Belt drive is so much smoother. And uh, yeah. Thanks to the gates for sponsoring uh, this week's show.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I think that rounds it out for us. So uh, thank you everyone for tuning in. And of course, we will see you guys back here in another two weeks for the next episode of the wheelie podcast. Take care, everyone.